Good morning, everyone. My name is Carl Drake, and I'm still a member of this church. <laughs> Welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church. I want to extend a special welcome to everyone joining us here and online this morning. Since 1870, UU Wassa has served as a vital voice for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. We are currently worshiping both in person and online, so be sure to subscribe to the church's newsletter and follow us on Facebook or Instagram for updates. We have a few announcements this morning. This is the final week to donate to the Help for the Homeless Hygiene Drive. Thanks to all who have donated so far. If you want to help out, please pick up a list from the table in the atrium and bring the items to the church office by next Sunday. This afternoon from 3 to 5, youth grades 7 to 12 
are invited to help spruce up the RE space with a painting project. Supplies and snacks will be provided. Please RSVP to jessica at uuwasa.org. The spiritual autobiography course with Reverend Brian Mason has been rescheduled for four Thursdays in March. Please check your yellow pages for details. And now let me give you a little bit of a pledge update. As of today, we have commitments or cash totaling $327,826.13, leaving us almost exactly $22,000 short of our goal of $350,000. This year we have had 99 pledges returned, <clears throat> which is 13 fewer than last year. We're hoping that those additional 13 will come in fairly soon. Um, we are going to um, call an end to the actual pledge campaign as of today, uh, end of February. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't still give. <laughs> we have 22,000 that we still would like to raise. So keep that in mind. Um, so ending this campaign means that I'm not going to show up on your doorstep at midnight asking for money. Your children will not bring pledge forms home from Sunday school or during the week. So uh, please keep us in mind. We, we really do want you to continue to, to, to give through the course of the year. With that, let us gather our hearts and minds for worship Please join me in reciting the church's chalice lighting. You will find the words printed in the order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Please join us as you are able for opening hymn number 128. Oh, 
Please join me in repeating the affirmation. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is its sacrament and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve human need, to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the divine. Thus do we covenant with each other. And the doxology. over the last week, I decided to share a classic, Dr. Seuss's Yertle the Turtle. On the far away island of Salamasan, Yertle the Turtle was king of the pond. A nice little pond. It was clean. It was neat. The water was warm. There was plenty to eat. The turtles had everything turtles might need, and they were all happy, quite happy indeed. They were until Yertle, king of them all, decided the kingdom he ruled was too small. I'm ruler, said Yertle, of all that I see, but I don't see enough. That's the trouble with me. With the stone for a throne, I look down on my pond, but I cannot look down on the places beyond. This throne that I sit on is too low down. It ought to be higher, he said with a frown. If I could sit high, I'd be how much greater I'd be. What a king. I'd be a ruler of all that I could see. So Yertle the Turtle King lifted his hand, and Yertle the Turtle King gave a command. He ordered nine turtles to swim to his throne, and using these turtles, he built a new throne. He made each of the turtles stand on another one's back, and he piled them up in a nine-turtle stack. And then Yertle climbed up. He sat down on the pile. What a wonderful view. He could see almost a mile. All mine, Yertle cried, all the things I now rule. I am the king of a cow. And I'm the king of a mule. I'm the king of a house. And what's more beyond that, I'm a king of a blueberry bush and a cat. I'm Yertle the turtle, oh marvelous me, for I am the ruler of all that I see. And through all that morning he sat there up high, saying over and over, what a great king am I. Until long about noon he heard a faint sigh. What's that, king, snapped the king. And he looked down at the sack. He saw at the bottom a turtle named Mac. Just a part of his throne, this plain little turtle, looked up and he said, Beg your pardon, King Yertle. I have pains in my back, my shoulders, and my knees. How long must we stand here, your majesty, please? Silence, the king of the turtles barked back. I'm king, you're only the turtle named Mac. You stay in your place while I sit here and rule. I'm king of a cow, and I'm king of a mule. I'm king of a house, and a bush, and a cat. But that isn't all. I'll do better than that. My throne shall be higher, his royal voice thundered. So pile up more turtles. I want about 200. Turtles, more turtles, he bellowed and bayed. 
And the turtles way down in the pond were afraid. They trembled, they shook, but they came, they obeyed. From all over the pond they came swinging by dozens, whole families of turtles with uncles and cousins. All of them stepped on the head of poor Mac. One after another, they climbed up the stack. Then, Yertle the turtle, which was perched up so high, he could see 40 miles from his throne in the sky. Hooray, shouted Yertle, I'm king of the trees, I'm king of the birds, I'm king of the bees, I'm king of the butterflies, king of the air. Ah, me, what a throne, what a wonderful chair. I'm Yertle the turtle, oh, marvelous me, for I am ruler of all that I see. Then again from below the great heavy stack came a groan from that plain little turtle named Mac. Your majesty, please, I don't like to complain, but down here below we're feeling great pain. I know up on top you're seeing great sights, but down at the bottom we too should have rights. We turtles can't stand it, our shells will all crack. Besides, we need food, we're starving, groaned Mac. You hush up your mouth, howled the mighty King Yertle. You have no right to talk to the world's highest turtle. I rule from the clouds over land, over sea. There's nothing, no nothing, that's higher than me. But while he was shouting, he saw with surprise, the moon of the evening started to rise, up over his head in darkening skies. What's that, snorted Yertle. Say, what is that thing that dares to be higher than Yertle the king? I shall not allow it. I'll go higher still. I'll build my throne higher, and I can and I will. I'll call some more turtles. I'll stack them to heaven. I need about 5,607. But as Yertle the turtle king lifted his hand and started to order and give the command, that plain little turtle down below in the stack, that plain little turtle who was just named just Mac, decided he had taken enough, and he had. And that plain little lad got a little bit mad. And that plain little Mac did a plain little thing. He burped, and his burp shook the throne of the king. And Yertle the turtle, the king of the trees, the king of the air, and the birds and the trees, bees, the king of the house and the cow and the mule, well, that was the end of the turtle king's rule. For Yertle the king of Salamasan fell from his high throne and fell plunk in the pond. And say the great Yertle that marvelous he is king of the mud, that is all he can see, and the turtles, of course, all the turtles are free, and turtles and maybe all creatures should be. And that was our story for today. To bless all the Macs of the world who are currently standing up to the Yurtles, and to bless our elementary students off to their group, I invite you to join in singing May Peace Surround You. The words are printed in your order of service. The mission and ministry of UU Wausau is made possible by the generous support of its friends and members. Rather than pass a plate at this time, we've placed an offering basket in the back of the sanctuary for you to drop a gift in. You can also stop by our website, uuwausau.org, to make a one-time or re recurring gift with your credit or debit card. 
Thank you for your support. to invite everyone into a spirit of prayer and meditation. Let us start by preparing our minds and our bodies. I'd like to invite you to take your feet and press them both flat and firm into the ground. If it is your custom to pray or meditate with your eyes closed, I invite you to close them. And before we journey into silence, let's take a scan of our bodies. The air on your head. The lingering cold on your cheeks. The weight of your tongue and your mouth. Your shoulders and back. And take a deep breath down into your stomach and slowly breathe it out. Let us pray. Spirit of life, great mystery, you have given the gift of life to all your creatures, but the goodness of creation lies broken, shattered with the weight of anger and loss, heartbreak and sorrow. We pray for the healing of all who are in pain, all who need comfort and care. We pray for peace where there is violence, plenty where there is want, hope where there is despair. And this hour we pray in particular for the people of Ukraine and Russia. We pray for the leaders of the nations that they will be guided in the ways of freedom and justice and truth. We pray for those who bear arms on behalf of the nation that they may have discipline and discernment, courage and compassion. We pray for our enemies and those who wish us harm, that the hearts of all would be turned to kindness and friendship. We pray for the wounded and the captive, the poor and the homeless, that in their trials they may yet know love. And we pray for those who know the cost of war, and what it takes to work for a better tomorrow. 
Aloud and in silence, we pray for all the needs we know of and for those known only in secret. Dear friends, let us call to mind all the joys and sorrows in our lives and let us meditate on them in silence together now. Amen. Please stay seated for our prayer hymn number 352, Find a Stillness. morning's reading is a poem entitled, If You Knew, by the poet Ellen Bass. And the poet writes, What if you knew you'd be the last to touch someone? If you were taking tickets, for example, at the theater, tearing them, giving back the ragged stubs, you might take care to touch that palm, brush your fingertips along the lifeline's crease. When a man pulls his wheeled suitcase too slowly through the airport, when the car in front of you doesn't signal, when the clerk at the pharmacy won't say thank you, I don't remember they're going to die. A friend told me she'd been with her aunt. They'd just had lunch, and the waiter, a young gay man with plum black eyes, joked as he served the coffee, kissed her aunt's powdered cheek when they left. Then they walked half a block at her aunt, dropped dead on a sidewalk. 
How close does the dragon's spume have to come? How wide does the crack in heaven have to split? What would people look like if we could see them as they are, soaked in honey, stung and swollen, reckless, pinned against time? Therein ends our reading. So in the silver chair, which is one of C.S. Lewis, Lewis's Narnia stories, there's a character by the name of the Green Witch. So among the Green Witch's many sinister powers, she can make this enchanting music. She can make these potions that figuratively and literally put people to sleep. So when she starts strumming, people nearby within earshot, they lose the ability to think for themselves before slowly going to sleep. The longer people are in this state, they forget themselves and they forget the world. And slowly over time, they forget their hopes and their dreams. So there's a moment in the silver chair when the characters whose job it is to save the land of Narnia from this green witch, all four of them are captured. And so the witch, she casts a spell that causes them to question whether the world as they've known it even exists. And very soon they start to question whether there's such a thing as trees, whether there's a sun, whether there are good leaders in this world who can rule with justice and compassion. 
They slowly start to believe that the world is indeed without hope, that only power and domination can rule. But one of those characters named Puddleglum, in his stupor, he places in his hand into a fire, and the pain and the smell of burning flesh, it instantly clears his mind. And so Puddleglum, in his enlightenment, he turns to the witch and says, suppose we have only dreamed, or suppose we have only made up all those things, trees and grass and sun and moon and, sp- and stars, suppose we have. Then all I can say is that in that case, the made-up things seem a good deal more important than the real ones. Suppose this black pit of a kingdom of yours is the only world. Well, it strikes me as a pretty poor world. And that's a funny thing when you come to think of it. Because we are just babies making up a game, if you're right. But four babies playing a game can make a play world which makes your real world hollow. In this scene, what Lewis is doing is he's reminding us how captivating evil can be, how blinding evil can be. Lewis believed that evil and our power to respond to it was proof that we live in a good world that has gone wrong and that our human calling is to try and break the spells that try and say otherwise. So the news this week, as you all well know, was filled with images and words of hopelessness and words of domination. And so for the first time since World War II, we are witnessing one European nation attempt to violently overthrow another sovereign nation. And so after weeks of everybody around the world watching Russia mobilized soldiers along Ukraine's borders. Russia's leaders mounted an assault on a democratic nation with more than 44 million residents. By the time we leave service this morning, there is no telling what might have happened since we last checked the news. The bloodshed has just begun. And regardless of whether Ukraine and its allies can maintain independence, many people will lose their lives and their loved ones, they will lose their homes and their life savings, and some will lose their freedom. On the topic of the war, the always wise Peggy Noonan, she wrote yesterday in the journal, quote, it is ugly and it will get uglier. Terrifying images of refugees fleeing into neighboring countries and the war dead are already filling the airwaves. I read on Friday the German-American political scientist at John Hopkins, Yasha Mauck. He wrote in a newsletter that he sent to his subscribers. This is what he said. He said, that on Fri- he said that Russia's assault on Ukraine has once and for all killed the illusion that the world was getting more peaceful and tolerant. I'm going to quote him now. The world has just entered its 16th year of a democratic recession that has only gotten deeper over the past 12 months. Social media mostly inspired tribal narcissism instead of facilitating mutual understanding. Nothing from the survival of democracy in its traditional heartlands to our collective ability to check the ambitions of the world's most ruthless dictators seems certain any longer." End quote. This war, Mount wants us to accept, has forced the world into uncharted territory. 
Continuing with this theme on Friday's PBS News Hour, you would have heard similar warnings. David Brooks said, and I quote, I think we are entering a new era. We may be entering an era of great power rivalries such as we saw in the 17th, 18th, 16th, and 15th century. Immediately after Brooks said that, his counterpart, Jonathan Capehart, agreed and added this. This is a battle of ideas, a larger global struggle between democracy and autocracy, end quote. And yesterday in the New York Times, Thomas Friedman, he wrote this, quote, Our world is not going to be the same again because this war has no historical parallel. It is a raw 18th century style land grab by a superpower, but in a 21st century globalized world. This is the first war that will be covered on TikTok, end quote. And finally, writing for The Guardian, America's greatest living writer, Marilyn Robinson, she wrote these words, quote, Joseph R. Biden has the weight of the world on his shoulders. And she goes on to say this. Things might have gone very badly for Abraham Lincoln, but the varieties of loss and destruction now possible if the systems of order fail are great beyond imagining. End quote. We should all hope that these experts are wrong. But if they're right, then the future as we thought we knew it ended on February 24th. It is tempting to look at far-off wars and highlight the number of miles and the cultural differences that separate us from the Ukrainians and the Russians. But the stories we see unfolding before us, whether they be about the actions of people here in Wausau or on the streets of Kiev, the fact is this is our history. This is our humankind. This is our original sin. To act on our inborn inclination to take what we think is ours at all costs and then to justify it. In St. Paul's letter to Timothy, he writes about this tendency, saying, quote, For the time will come when the people will not put up with the sound of doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Paul's warning is as terrifying as it is timeless. We live in an era that disguises entertainment as truth, and we freely give our attention to news feeds custom-made to our likes and our dislikes. And then we self-isolate into echo chambers that leave assumptions unchecked and untested. Furthermore, here at home, sober minds for years have been warning about our polarization, which is described as unlike anything we have seen since the American Civil War. If you go back to 2014, the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science, they published an article on a little-known concept known as motive attribution asymmetry, which is an assumption that our ideology is based in love while our opponents is based in hate. Today, that concept seems to be the order of the day. Experts now warn that the level of motive attribution asymmetry amongst Democrats and Republicans in the United States is comparable with that only of the Palestinians and the Israelis. It seems as though we have upgraded from incivility and intolerance to something far worse, which is contempt. 
and contempt is a witch's brew of anger and disgust. But when this happens, we don't just stop at hating bad ideas. We hate the people who have them too. And increasingly here at home, we act on that hate. And it is against this backdrop of polarization and isolation that this war has begun. If ever there was a time to put away childish things, it is now. Our nation, if not the world, should be united as we face a common enemy who has no time for religious and personal freedom, no time to respect sovereign borders, no time for fair and free elections, no time for justice. The time to thrust our hands into the cleansing fire is now. As people of faith, we leave ourselves open to terrifying questions. And I'm sure many of you, like me, have asked in recent days, when is war just? It is tempting to think that Ukraine and the NATO allies are at war with Russia. But we are not at war with Russia, nor are we at war with Russians. This is a war between civilization and anarchy. And the only way to ensure that the world as we know it will not end, as the talking heads are all predicting, is to take every appropriate measure necessary to destroy the terrorist henchmen who are directing tanks and bombs and death into Ukraine. And it is up to us, even though we in this country are fractured, to unite against a common enemy. To do this, we must protect our minds. But we must also protect our hearts, for this will be a spiritual challenge. But it is a challenge we must be willing to meet because the terrifying truth is that in this effort to confront a murderous bully, we will see even more innocent blood shed. The scriptures of our ancestors here in this church point out over and again in both the Hebrew and Christian Bibles the dangers of the arrogance of power. The question is not, should we have power or should we not have power? The question is, how do we use power wisely and carefully and not just for ourselves, but for the world? And in this nation, we have done that. But history shows that we have also failed in that responsibility. The faith we practice resists all attempts to go along with the prevailing order. And today's prevailing order seems as though it was conjured up in the mind of the green witch. Truth is negotiable. Nihilistic despots collaborate right before our eyes. We sort ourselves into us-versus-them camps, and then we yell across chasms so wide we no longer even hear each other. One of my dear friends and mentors, Carl Scovel, he reminded me in one of his essays that in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, quote, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The cross, of course, means many things, but it is a powerful symbol that reminds us of our calling to be merciful peacemakers and protectors of the meek. Now, having said that, I will, of course, add the obvious. Not all who carry crosses are Christians. God's love works through people of every religious tradition and no religious tradition. But when you think about all the crosses people in this world have carried, you think about all those people in the prime of their lives who were struck down by illness. You think of widows robbed of lovers. You think of the child who loses a parent 
the doctor who travels to the poorest nations to heal the world's forgotten people. You think of martyrs like Oscar Romero, Martin Luther King Jr., Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and everyday folks throughout Europe who risked or gave their lives to save thousands of Jews from the Nazis. From the perspective of rational self-interest, acts undertaken by the people I just mentioned and millions more, they may seem like irrational pride or presumption, but this is precisely what our faith calls us to, compassion and commitment to those on this earth whose lives are torn apart by strife, compassion and commitment to truth, to justice, to grace, and to accountability. When the news of Ukraine comes on and you see the faces of the people who are rising up to confront evil, it is not just the nation's army. It is whole brigades of volunteers who just a few days ago were classroom teachers, local politicians, mechanics, and pension earners, scores of people with little or absolutely no military training are carrying a cross for their country and the world by answering the call to preserve freedom, to protect the women and men, old and young, who cannot fight for themselves. All those brave people stand face to face with evil, and they are willing to give their lives to prevent its spread. In an age when most bravery is reserved for Twitter and television, it is breathtaking to see actual courage, both moral and physical. These people are not just speaking against evil. They are literally standing against it. They are the face of a resistance that has risen up to fight the prevailing order of the day. They are David confronting Goliath. And I understand that success is not guaranteed. But one thing is clear. Ordinary women and men have answered the call of an extraordinary time, and I pray it will continue to spark hope amongst the Ukrainian people and here in a cynical and weary West. In C.S. Lewis's Narnia, he reminds readers that though we may not always do what we want, that we are ultimately responsible for our lives. And when we view our lives honestly from the inside, we are all failures and sinners, and we all need to be forgiven. But Lewis learned through war and tragedy, just like all of us learn through war and tragedy, that the only way to survive as human beings is through love. But this doesn't mean that we'll be able to avoid war and death. But true love, true love has the power to resist in our nature what we know we must resist. And it has the power to resist the nature of others that must be resisted. Amen. Please rise with me now and sing our closing hymn, number 1064 in the Blue Teal Hymn Book, Blue Boat Home.
If you came here with someone this morning, take their hand now. If you're here alone, reach out with your heart. May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that casts out fear, may it lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away. Have a seat, relax, and enjoy the postlude. Thank you.